I don't have to tell you things are bad. Everybody knows things are bad. We know the air is unfit to breathe and our food is unfit to eat. We know things are bad, worse than bad. They're crazy. It's like everything everywhere is going crazy, so we don't go out anymore. We sit in the house, and slowly the world we're living in is getting smaller, and all we say is, please, at least leave us alone in our living room. Well, I'm not going to leave you alone. I want you to get mad. I don't want you to protest. I don't want you to write. I don't want you to write to your congressman, because I wouldn't know what to tell you to write. All I know is that first, you've got to get mad. You've got to say, I'm a human being. God damn it. My life has value. So, I want you to get up now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell. Welcome to the debut episode of the Single Dad Why You Mad podcast, where we, two single dads, talk about and reflect on our lives as single fathers, co-parenting, and still trying to live a life. So I'm David. I'm a single dad to my one and only child. His name is Miles. He is three years old. I don't know how many people do this. But um, I had my first kid at 50. Wow. And, uh, well, Janet Jackson did it also, right? Um, and uh, if I had it to do all over again, I would have did it 10 years earlier. But this is probably one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life. And my co-host, Clark. Yeah, it's funny. Every time you mention how old you were when you, when you had your first kid, I'm like, wow. Because <laughs> I'm beat now. So I, I'm Clark. I am a single dad to three girls, ages uh, 18, 12, and my youngest just turned 11 this week. I had my first kid at 25 years old. So, um, yeah, this is the Single Dad Why You Mad podcast. And I think um, one of the first things that um, we should do is just talk about the title, right? Um, single dad, okay, which everybody gets, but why you mad, right? Um, because... Uh, when I talk to people about this, one of the things they said to me is, well, what are you saying? Are you saying you're a single dad um, and you want to know why other people are mad? Or um, is somebody saying at you, hey, single dad, why are you mad or whatever else it is? I think that uh, it's ambiguous for a reason. It's not just one or the other. I explained to somebody, it's kind of like a Rorschach test. <laughs> you know, you bring to it whatever you, you bring to it. And, and it's completely subjective. So... You know, if you want to tell us why you're mad, this is a format and a place for you to, to tell us. And because I think we're going to be honest and we're sure as hell going to tell you why we're mad. You know, especially if there's something biting at me during the course of the week, this is going to be my release. All right. So um, let's lay the foundation here, you know, for what you and I define as single dads. Sure. Um, and I think we agree on that. But uh, yeah, why don't you do that? Sure. I, I think for our purposes, a single dad is somebody who was involved in their kid's life, not just from a financial standpoint, not just somebody who throws money at the problem, but who was involved in the day-to-day -day parenting, guidance, and development of this you know, soon-to-be adult, kind of stewarding, stewarding them through life as it is. And, and, and I feel the same way. You know, um, you know uh, I, I sometimes hear people say, you know, I take care of my kids meaning that, you know, uh, the state is taking money out of their check every week or every month or whatever else it is, you know. But for me, right, sometimes when I'm with my kid, right, and I'm around other people and he'll be walking next to me or walking with me or whatever else it is, somebody will say something like, he walks just like you. Or I did this video one time, uh, Christmas Eve, I believe it was, or Thanksgiving, we were down in one of the train stations somewhere in Grand Central. And I made this video of how we were looking at trains and a friend of mine's commented, you know, his mannerisms are just like you. Uh, he looks away from the camera, whatever else it is she said. And I'm saying to myself, yeah, that's what I want. I'm not perfect. And I don't want him to be like me in every way. Right. You know? But, you know, I, I, I want to have an impression on this kid. No, I, I agree. I explained to somebody about parenting, especially like younger people who ask me about it. I say parenting is having to live with somebody who embodies everything you love and despise about yourself in one way. Oh, God. Right? And I run into the same thing with my eldest daughter. She's a tall girl. She's super funny. And people will look at us together and go, oh, my gosh, she looks just like you. I go, no, she doesn't. If you see us separately, you're not going to go, yeah, she looks a lot like her dad. If you see us together, you go, she behaves a lot like her dad. So her sense of humor, her sense of comedic timing, you know, her overall mannerisms, her obsession with everything geeky, you know, that comes from me. 
And that comes from us spending so much time together. I just think about this thing and, and, and I don't understand how anybody, you know, would want to have a child out here and not want to raise them and not want to spend time with them. I just have such a hard time getting my head around that. I just, I, I, it, it just baffles me. I don't understand how people want to do that. But, you know, there's a whole bunch of different kind of people out here. Well, absolutely. We're all built differently and we all have different, you know, different desires and different motivating factors. And, you know, one of the things my dad used to say to me as a kid was no matter how dirty, warped, or cracked somebody's lens is, it shapes their view for the universe. So it's very interesting because I've sat and had conversations with other dudes who have kids and don't necessarily business with their kids in the same way that I business with my kids, you know, and don't spend the time with their kids. And, and there are a lot of excuses. And some of them, you know, are, are based on how they were trained and how they were raised as, as kids. You know, some of them have to do with shame cycles, which is a completely different matter. You know, by that. tell me what you mean. Shame cycles. Like essentially, you're in a pattern of behavior and you don't know how to get around it. Frankly, you've been a shitty dad so long or you've made a handful of mistakes and you recognize those mistakes, but you're like, well, it's nothing I can do about it now, you know, especially as the kid gets older because the idea becomes, well, the, the, the kid's 15 now. There's nothing that I can do now to change their life. And what's really crazy is, you know, on the other side of the equation, I've had the conversation with people who established relationships with their parents as adults. So, you know, mom wasn't around or dad wasn't around when they were kids. As they got older, they reconnected and it's opened up a completely different world for them. So, I mean, is it ever too late? Maybe in some instances it is, but you don't know unless you try and reach out. So, um, one of the things that we like to make sure everybody knows is that, you know, we have one rule here. Um, and that is simply that we call it the way we see it. Uh, we don't claim to be child rearing, dating, relationships, co-parenting or baby mama experts. Nah. <laughs> Not even close, right? No. Um, we are exactly the opposite. Um, me, you know, speaking for me, at the age of 53, I'm still learning on the job. And I grew up in a household, right, where at least six nieces and nephews grew up with us from the time I was 10 years old, right? So I raised all of them. They all followed behind me you know, at one point or another. I took them all to school. I changed all their diapers. I made all their bottles. I pushed them all around, you know, in the carriage or, you know, uh, took them out to play. So, you know, I've got a lot of background raising kids, but it's completely different when you're raising your own kids. So, you know, I'm learning, I'm still, even at the age of 53 with a three-year-old, learning on the job. I, I will tell you, at 43 years old with an 18-year-old, <laughs> it's still learning on the job. I, I describe it as flying the plane, changing the oil, and reading the instruction manual at the same time. And it, it never ends. And you know, when I meet older dudes and I have the conversation with them, you know, guys who are in their 60s and 70s and have adult daughters, and I'm like, Yo, does it get any better? Like, no, just gets more expensive, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's all a, a, a learning curve and a work in progress. You know? and, and I look back at, like, my parents or the being a kid and looking at adults and thinking, damn it, like they just have this mastery of the world and they know everything. And then, you know, that veneer start, slowly starts to peel back, especially when you're in the role and you're like, yeah, I think they was making this up as they were going along too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I think about, yeah, my parents and when I was growing up, I say the same exact thing all the time. They didn't have all the answers. Yeah, no. But they did the best they could, right? Well, what they so, had. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so, so speaking about that and speaking about parenting and speaking about like, you know, laying the foundation on what our definitions are of, you know, single parents, um, we should probably tell the listeners what our current situations are um, with respect to, um, you know, the custody of our children. And, uh, you know, why don't you go first? Sure. So I have uh, joint custody with my kid's mom where I have my kids at least four nights a week. That's physical. Well, the first thing somebody's going to say is that ain't 50-50. That's that's sixty forty, <laughs> right? Well, somebody had to get somebody had to get the extra day, and you know I'm the sucker. What do what am I gonna say? Okay. Uh, you know, geographically, I maintained the house after our split, so I kept them in, in the same school system, you know, kept them in in the neighborhood with their friends, and um, as such, you know, I get the fallout from that by you know having them on nights where it isn't necessarily my night, but 
for the most part, my ex-wife and I get along to the point where we can negotiate those things. So uh, for me, I have a 50-50 split also. And, and the way it works is that my kid is usually with me during the week, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. And then he's with his mom on Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays. And then we alternate Mondays. And then she also gets whenever a Monday falls on a major holiday or whenever a major holiday falls on a Monday, she gets that day also. So let's just say this coming Monday, she would drop him off at daycare because she would have him Sunday night. I would pick him up from daycare on Monday and he would be with me until Friday morning when I drop him off at daycare. And then she would pick him up uh, from daycare on Friday evening. And then, you know, the thing would just repeat over. And we manage to um, sometimes um, coordinate that schedule well where, you know, she just said to me uh, the other day, um, do you mind switching this coming Monday for the next coming Monday? And I'm like, yeah, okay. If it doesn't, you know, affect anything I got going on, sure. Why not? And, uh, you know, you, you expect the same in return. So with you guys, was it a, a court mandated schedule or was that something you guys came up with on your oh, own? Or? Good question. When we first split up, I put together a Google calendar and on the Google calendar, we were basically um, doing the same thing where, you know, 15 days a week, he'd be with her 15 days a week, he'd be with me. And then, you know, I would just manage on the calendar, all of that activity. Right. The problem though was, you know, um, that there would be times when she would say something like, uh, this is going to get me in trouble. I know it's going to get me in trouble at some point. Here comes the spilling of the tea. Here comes the spilling of the tea. I know it's going to get me in trouble. Where she would be like, uh, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't take that day or that. I, no, that wasn't me. Or no, I don't remember that. Or yeah. yeah, you know, why can't you just you know take them and 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 let that be the end of it? Why do we have to you know has to have to be this sort of one for one thing or whatever else it is? And it just got to the point where I was just like, yeah, uh, we need more. We need more structure here. We just and I'm laughing as you're telling this story because even in working with you, I'm like. Yo, David is far more organized than I am. <laughs> and I appreciate it. Dude. Yo, I appreciate it. I, like, I, I tell people in business, like, even in, in a business relationship, a romantic relationship, and we'll, we'll dive into those further on down the road, but you need to find somebody who compliments your strengths and your weaknesses. And I'm like, yo, you're organized. So I can see where putting this together you know, your, your parenting schedule and, and, and having those guidelines that just suited your personality and worked for you. And it was just so much easier. It, it's, a, it's like if the calendar's up there, you know, it's a Google calendar. It's not like we got to keep emailing it back and forth to each other. You right. know what I'm we can both make suggestions. We can both modify it. And then at the end of the month, you lock it. And then we know what's been done. And right. You know what I'm saying? So if you need to carry something over to the next month, that's fine. I'm willing to do that. But at the same time, you can't be like, yeah, that was last month. So it just got out of hand and I couldn't take it no more. And I'm like, oh, no. So, yeah. you know, we, we, we ended up in court, right? Yeah. And uh, that's when the judge came back with this particular schedule. And I think one of the reasons he came back, you know, with this was strong on this particular schedule for us is that um, I have been taking my kid to swim class every Wednesday night since he was six months old. Right. Um, I'm not an avid. I'm an avid swimmer. I'm not, I can get from one side of the pool to the other. I don't do a lot of breathing when I do it. So um, they call me a muscler. You know, I muscle through it, you know. Right. Um, but uh, I want my kid to be able to, you know, it, I want my kid to be able to swim. I want my kid to be able to play another to play an instrument. I want him to be able to speak another language and I want him to play a sport. And from yeah, where I sit, you get him to do that. <laughs> yeah. And from where I sit, once he's got that under his belt, you are on your own, dude. You, you, if you can't figure out life after having those four skills, then there's nothing I can do for you. There's nothing I can do for you. Well, but, at that point, it's just like you're giving him enough tools so that at that point, you could just like kind of shift his direction and point him in the right direction. But he navigated for the most part himself. Dude, dude, I live in Harlem, right? But I got an apartment up in the Bronx. And I'm telling you, when he turns 18, 
he is out of here <laughs> in that apartment and he is on his own. Yo, I will tell you that that's the dream. That's, that's not the reality. And I laugh because I also look at it from the aspect of being like an immigrant kid, being a Caribbean kid. Like I left my parents' house, I think I was 26. When I, when I left my parents' house, I moved up to Connecticut. So that was the first time I left my parents' house. I was already a dad <laughs> when I moved out. <laughs> my daughter turned 18 in February. Her ass still here. <laughs> well, it's funny because when, when she turned 15, I remember walking into her bedroom and going, hey, honey, happy birthday. And she goes, thank you, daddy, three more years. I go, what? She said, well, three more years, I'm out of here, son. I go, well, damn, like... You leaving me? She goes, if it was just you, dad, it wouldn't be a problem. But it's not just you. And that stuck with me. But here we are, after her 18th birthday, guess who's still living upstairs? I mean, in all fairness, she goes off to college in, uh, in the fall, but. Good for you. So um, how about you though? Is your, your custody um, schedule court mandated? You know, so, so while we were going through our split up, you know, she, she ended up moving out and you know, as she was getting grounded, we were like, okay, we need to come up with a schedule where both of us have access to the kids, both of us can see the kids, you know, and both of us can have some semblance of a life. And initially, like I just drafted it and I hung it on my fridge and I put like little like little icons so they knew what days were daddy's days and what days were mommy's days or whatever. And then when we were going through the divorce process, we went through a mediator versus, you know, having two, two uh, attorneys or separate attorneys and going through an adversarial divorce process. So uh, you mentioned statistics earlier. And yeah. there's one statistic that I wanted to touch on. November 16th, 2017, there was an article. More children live with just their fathers than a decade ago. Uh, the percentage of children living, and I'm going to post this on the website, you know, if anybody wants to look at it. The percentage of children living with one parent or with just their fathers. So an increase from 12 and a half percent to two in 2007 to 16.1 percent in 2017. That's according to new statistics from the U.S. Census Bureau's 2017 American Families and uh, Living Arrangements Table Package. A higher percentage of children living with one parent live with their fathers than a decade ago. That's one of the things. One of the things it also says, though, is that um, overall, nearly 20 million children under age 18 live with one parent, composing 27% uh, of all living arrangements for children. The, the, the proportion of children that live with their fathers over living with their mothers is greatest in kids that are 12 to 17. Why is that? Why is that that as the kid gets older, and I got my own theory on it, why is it that as the kid gets older, chances are he's going to live with his dad versus living with his mom? I mean, it, it ain't much different than, what, what was that, Boys in the Hood? When yeah. um, uh, she said, you're going to live with your father, and she brought him over there. Trey, she took yeah. Trey to live with, her, his, live with his father. I think there's a couple of things. One theory is, as the kid gets older and harder to control, that's where dad steps in. Another theory is, if it's by kid selection, there could be two things at play. I can go live with dad and have an easier time because dad probably won't hassle me about certain things. Or the other perspective, potential perspective from the kid's choice is, yo, I can't live with this lady. Let me go over here and see what's going down. So from what you're saying is you don't think it's the kids that are making the decision. I mean, you don't think it's the parents that are making the decision. You think it's the kids that are making the decision. I think it's a combination thereof, but I think it really depends on the family. And like I look at my case, my kids spend as much time with me because they're in the school system based on the house that I'm in. So most of their friends are around here. Most of their activities are around here. So they can decide, I don't want to go to mom's house today. I want to go play with my friend across the street and have a sleepover. That's based on daddy's house. So meh, we're going to stay with daddy. Or my teenager, where she's involved in theater. If her theater don't end until 6.30, 7 o'clock at night, her mom isn't going to come pick up the other two, wait for her to come out of play practice. It's just, you know, she's going to stay with me tonight. So, so for me now that I think about it, I regularly get calls from my son's mom saying, uh, Miles is being bad. He won't listen. I told him I was going to call you. And he was like, no, no, don't call daddy. Don't call daddy. Well, first of all, I didn't expect that at three years old, right? right. But I guess they sort of know at three years old what's what, right? I guess from where I said, I always interpreted that to be moms preferring it that way simply because the kid was a bit more difficult to handle. 
I never thought about the fact that, you know, sometimes kids may just prefer to go live with dad simply because dad's probably not on them as much. And I, and I think it depends on, on, on the personality of the dad. Because, like, for me, I'm a lot more laid back than my ex-wife. If you just do what you're supposed to do, I ain't got nothing to say. Right. That, 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 that's the way I move. I'm like, and, and most of it is, you know what? It's not even a supposed to do, you know, for the most part, like, you know, if it's something that needs to be done, we'll sort it out, whatever. Like, my, my gradation for, for, for stress is this. Is this shit going to matter 100 years from now? Because you, if you think about the stuff we get mad about as human beings, that we get angry about and we get fired up about, we get fired up about a bunch of shit that we really don't care about the following week. Or two weeks later, you know, if you like, just watch people in arguments. I mean, sometimes it's real stuff and it's real folks blues. It's, it's things that you really need to care about. And, and I think in raising my kids, I think they know when I'm serious, but I've never been, you know, the staunch disciplinarian. I probably give my kids a lot more bandwidth and explanation than most parents give their kids. But I realize to a large degree, that's how my father parented me. So, so let me ask you then, are you trying to say though that not all women, but or in your situation, your ex-wife, she may be on top of the kids just a little bit more, or it, maybe it has something to do with the fact that she's a woman and they're all young women. And on some level, there's some clash there also. Dude, th there was always a clash with your same-sex parent. And I'm looking for a way to articulate it. Without getting yourself I, in trouble. Go ahead. Well, <laughs> I'm constantly in trouble. I'm immune at this point. My kids will butt heads with their mother. And they butt heads with me occasionally. But they'll butt heads with their mother more frequently about and about smaller things. And their mother, because of her nature, will engage. And I, like, I remember my oldest daughter being two and three and four years old and she and her mother being in full-fledged arguments and i'm like son she's three pick her up put her in the other room walk away you know what you just reminded me of what was uh, that the clashing of the the same sex uh uh, uh parent and child there was an episode of blackish he talks about uh, his son having his balls in his face i don't know if you remember that episode can i tell you i've never seen an episode of blackish no no, my kids love it, and I've never watched it episode. I don't know how that is, but uh, yeah. yeah. Do your kids watch it? Yeah, they watch it, and they're like, you got to watch this. I'm like, yeah, I'll get around to it. That just never happened. There's this episode where um, they're playing basketball, and dad always beats son, but then there's one day when son goes and dunks on dad, and then he falls <laughs> in his face. And oh. that's, the table start to, that's where the table starts to turn. Um, speaking of family, um, we need to talk about what this episode is actually about and what this episode is titled, which is... How the, How the fuck, fuck did I get did here? I get here? <laughs> and um, what we mean by that is, how did I get here? How did I get from being uh, a person who was in a relationship with another person, who had a child, you know, who had all good intents and all good ideas, all good purposes to do this thing, right? Right. Be with this person and raise this child. Okay, let me speak for myself, right? How yeah. the fuck did I get here? How the fuck did I meet somebody, get into a relationship with this person, have a baby with them, and want to have other children, but right. then end up here, a single parent with split time, you know, working our way through the court system, working our way through who's paying, you know, for what and all that other sort of stuff. Um, I think we all start off with good intentions. And I, I think, you know, one of the reasons we pulled this podcast together was to talk to people about, like, you know, our experiences when those intentions go awry and, like, how do you make the best out of the world yeah. after shit hits the proverbial fan? Right? Le le lemons to lemonade. Right. Or chicken shit to chicken salad, whatever. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so um, how the fuck did you get here? And go back as far as you would like, because I'm telling you, I'm going to go back far. Okay, so let's dig into crates. You know, we'll talk about how my ex-wife and I first met. And I'm going to spill some tea because she probably has a bunch of girlfriends who still think that we met in a club somewhere in New York. We actually met over the internet. You know, so we were, we were early adopters to online dating. And the site, that's back when the sites weren't necessarily geared towards dating. They were just geared towards community. So you had like on AOL, you have black voices, you have like, Black Planet, Black Planet, you had all these... Uh, Wait a minute, so you're 43 now? Yeah. So this was uh, 18 years ago? Yeah, this was this was a little more than that. So it was like, call it 19, because, you know, gestation and all that. <laughs> it was... So, uh, so, so, so like, so late 99. Dial-up? On dial-up? Shit, was that... I think that was still dial-up. That was absolutely still... I think that was still absolutely dial-up in the house. All right, good. Yeah, so we're talking, like... We met online 
1999 and exchanged numbers and end up chit-chatting or whatever. Their mom was living here in Connecticut. I was living We met online where? What's the site? What site was it? We initially met, and so this is another thing we butt heads about, because the way she tells the story is, oh, he reached out to me on Black Voices, and I wasn't really feeling him. Then a little while went by, and then he reached out to me again on Black Planet, and you know I thought he had better pictures, and I saw more of him, and you know we just ended up chit-chatting, I decided to give him a shot. From my perspective, is I hollered at her on Black Voices, absolutely. I don't remember if I got a response. And then when I hollered at her on Black Planet, I didn't realize it was the same woman. And we ended up like, you know, just chit-chatting about music, about life, about the universe, about everything. Um, and I was what, maybe like 23, 24-ish, whatever, she's about the same age. And then we met in person in New York. You know, she came out, she drove out from Connecticut to see me and we just started seeing each other and we would, you know, get together and we see each other, you know, maybe once a week. I, you know, I wasn't driving at the time. Was the intent always to meet somebody to start a relationship with, or was it just, Oh no, 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 no. Dude, at, 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 so giving you more about me at that time, I was working on wall street. So I like right out of college, I went to work at a small New York firm, like real Wolf of Wall Street, smiling and dialing, cold calling cowboy, working 14 hours a day. Definitely not as shady and shysty as the movie, but you know, but working as hard and putting in as much hours. And so I was dedicated and and married to my career. And I was like, I'm going to do this and I'm going to get to the next level and then the next level after that and in my mind, I was going to be a multimillionaire by the time I was 28. I built out the game plan, and this was my first steps toward it. So I had no desire to be in a relationship. You made that clear to you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That was one of the reasons why I would be online chatting with people. But I was just putting the feelers out to see what was out there in the online world. And it was a lot easier to kind of like sort through people. But yeah, we were seeing each other. You know, we got to a point where we had a falling out. And I said to her, you know what? Lose my number. Lose my cell phone number. Lose my pager number. Lose my office number. Don't call me ever again. And then the next day, my phone starts ringing. I look down and it's her number. You know, she's pregnant. That's because that's the only reason she would have the balls to call me after I said what I said to her. You know, we got on the phone and we started chit-chatting. She's like, you know, yeah, I'm pregnant. So I said, okay, you know, what are we going to do? So you asked her, what are we going to do? Just like that. I said, what are we going to do? No, none of this hang up the phone, you on your own. Right. And that was a turning point for us. Initially, it was like, okay, you know, you're up there. I'm in New York. We're just going to co-parent and raise this kid together. And as, you know, her pregnancy went along, we decided to give being a relationship a shot. And as soon as my daughter was born, the following year, February of the following year, the day after she moved in with me in New York, and we lived in New York for for about a year, and around 9-11, oh, we, we lived in Brooklyn, and we lived with my parents. So we were living in my parents' house in New York. Yeah, I had switched firms. I was working for, for a firm in, another firm in New York. 9-11 hit, and I found myself looking for a job. And she goes, well, the employment market has to be better in Connecticut, and it was. So we picked up, and we moved to Connecticut, and we started a life there. And we did y'all get married, though? At what point did y'all get married? We didn't get married until our daughter was four. So we were living together, you know, raising this kid, um, and then we got married in 2005. And what was it like, you know, for the first four years while y'all were together? It was, was it bliss? Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. I, I would say, like, even when she and I have conversations about it, we have the kind of relationship where we can have candid conversations, mostly, you know, it's, re it's reminiscent of being married to her. And that's kind of what our relationship was like. Like, we would... We lived together, we had fun together, we laughed, we joked, we raised this kid, and then some shit would go down and it would be, you know, tumultuous and horrific, and then we'd pretend the shit didn't happen and we'd move forward. Do you think now looking back on it, it was like maybe somewhat toxic? Absolutely. Yeah, you get caught up in it and you don't even realize what's going on. And, and that's exactly it. I mean, it's the same reason that fighters have coaches, because... Why are you in the middle of it? You don't see the blows that are coming at you. you know? And um, so in our case, you know, we got married, bought a house, had another kid. We went and we got the house in, you know, in the west end of the suburb. And while she was pregnant with our second kid, I went out and bought her a car for Christmas and showed up with like the ribbon on the front of the car. Oh, you know? shit. Hey, she used to be out front 
gardening in her little garden patch or whatever, taking care of the house. And leave it know, to Beaver, the Beavers, the Cleavers, leave it to Beaver. Cleaver, dude, it, 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 it was textbook, you know, like, and, and it, this also goes to like my, my love hate for social media. The idea that like we were living this suburban life ultimately ended up with two more kids after our first, after the wedding and her as a stay at home mom while I was out working and, you know, you know, maintaining that balance. And then we got to a point where I went through a layoff. So we got married in 2005, 2009, I got laid off from my job and I was home for like nine months. And during that time, there was one night where like I was home with the kids and her brother was hanging out with us and she was supposed to go out with some friends. And she went out and she called me and she's like, hey, I'm parked over on such and such a street. Why don't you come and meet me? So I'm like, bet, you know, we're going to go hang out for a little bit while he sits here with the kids. Hey, I'll be right back. So I run out and we have a conversation in the car and she'd been drinking. And I'm like, oh okay, you got a little buzz going, what's up? And she's like, you know, I think we should separate. I go, what? She's like, yeah, you know, like, I, I just don't think that we gel. I don't think we get along. I think we should separate. And I'm like, I bet, you know, well, let me get on my feet. Let me get this job situation going and we'll sort that out. And went back to the house. There was no signs or anything like that, that this was coming? You know, it, you know as you say signs, I... And it's funny because, you know, as we were talking about statistics earlier, you know, if you look at like divorce statistics, 70, like upward of 70% of divorces are initiated by women. But you know what the women are going to say to that if there are any women that's listening to this? They're going to say that's because motherfuckers be cheating. That's the first thing that's going to come well, out of it. So, well, well here's, here's the other side to that. Like infidelity is not the most cited reason for divorce. Irreconcilable differences is the number one cited reason for people going through divorces. Because if you think about it and you think about it from a human standpoint, right like if somebody cheated there's an enemy for you to face there's somebody for you to channel that anger at whether it be your partner or that person they cheated with and it becomes a competition to win back what you lost so very often even though you'll hear or someone cheated most times people reconcile after an infidelity you know and i don't remember the exact stats behind it but the stats are, are there to prove it a lot of times people don't leave for physical abuse or for drug abuse so their partner has an addiction problem they don't generally leave for that either or gambling problem they don't they don't leave for that they tend to the mommy and daddy mode comes in is like i have to save them from them from themselves it's usually the irreconcilable differences and what that usually boils down to is people cr being crushed under the grind in the day-to-day -day of maintaining a household because you think about it we're told you know you're going to live happily ever after when you get married and nobody tells you that it's oh we're living in this house and we got to figure out a way to pay these bills together or you know we're dealing with these little kids who don't sleep and so we're sleep deprived and we're aggravated with each other and what about sex that was never a problem we had sex was never our problem in our case it was that day-to-day -day grind so she said we should separate and then we didn't have that conversation again like she came home she went to bed and then we continued on and there's nothing happened until a couple months later we got into an argument over something i said on her facebook page she was thinking about getting another tattoo and people were chiming in and giving opinions and I said something and she goes, why are you picking fights with my friends? And I go, what? And she's like, oh, you know, we, we just need to separate. Like, I think we need to separate. We need to be done. And that's when we're like, okay, fine. The hell with it. We're going to separate. We separated in, in September, 2009. After that conversation, we woke up the next morning and, and we talked about it and we decided to separate. We ended up sharing a house for about a year and a half after that separation. And you know, it was pretty much her coming and going as she pleased and, and you know, living her life and me going, oh shit, like we're about to get divorced. And I was also going through you know, a lot of personal shit at that time. Who was the primary caretaker of the kids then? At that point, yeah. It was It was also me trying to figure out a lot of stuff in my life because it was... So you were the primary caretaker of the kids at that time? Yeah, because I, I, I was also home. So when, when we decided to split, she had also found a job. So she she went from being a stay-at-home mom for the first time our kids were in daycare. But it was still me, me being the one who, like watched over the kids and took care of the kids, you know, while she was sorting her, her stuff out. So um, how the fuck did I get here? I met my son's mother probably 10 years before we actually started dating. We used to work together. And she was married at the time, right? You know, we would work together and we were successful on a couple of projects. And I always appreciated, you know, how hard she worked and, and how she was able to get things done. And then we remained friends and we used to see each other in Harlem every now and then. And we talk. And then I, I found out, you know, that she was getting divorced or whatever else it is. 
um, was separated. Probably, you know, two years after her divorce or separation, we were at the same club together. And she just came over to me and she told me that, you know, she's always had a crush on me. You know, we started uh, dating not long after that. I'm going to say three or four months after that. At the most, six months after that, we started dating. And two or three months after that, I moved in with her. And a month after that, we found out she was pregnant. She had my son in April of 2016. We decided to separate in September of 2016, and I moved out in April of 2017. So what caused the transition? And you can't really call it a whirlwind courtship because you've known each other for a very long time. And so there's probably always been something. But from between moving in and having your son and then moving out, like what changed? So I'm going to say, without getting myself in too much trouble, that uh, I think that we both realized that we were not the person we wanted each one to be, you know? I saw her as this person or the possibility of being this person, not actually that person. So looking at her with potential glasses. Yes, yes. And I think she saw me the same way. Right. And I think it did not take long for both of us to realize, you know, that wasn't going to happen. If I think back on it, I'm going to say the same thing that you said that, you know, I'm going to repeat what you said. It was her idea that we separate. Now, I got to be honest, right? I think she was saying that as a means to get me to bend, as a means to get me to be who she saw through those glasses. But, you know... At the age of 50, fuck that. I ain't gotta do that shit. I don't have to fucking, dude, I have, so so. I'm not even, I'm not gonna say that I'm proud to say this, you know, but I've been in a couple of relationships prior to 50, right? And I've seen a whole bunch of different personality types and I've seen a whole bunch of different ways that, um, and not just in my relationship, but in other relationships around me where people try to manipulate you to be who they want you to be. And people, I think, do that because of self-esteem issues, one. Or two, I'm probably going to think the, the, the biggest thing is self-esteem issues, yeah. where you're willing to you know, bend to somebody else's will. And fuck that. You don't got to do that shit. You will meet somebody else. Yeah, it, 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 it's wild that you say that. And that's one of the things like I warn a lot of my female friends who are younger and they pursue older guys. I go, listen, dealing with a dude who's in his late 30s, his 40s, his 50s, is completely different. I said, especially if he has something going on for himself. But talking about like the idea of dating and bending, like we just, we've seen enough, we've been through enough and we have enough going for ourselves that we're like, if you're not fitting into what I've established or you're a potential detriment to what I've established, I don't need to rock with you. So now, yeah, but don't get me wrong, though. In the middle of the breakup, right, um, I went through some, you know, some tough moments, some tough emotional moments. Absolutely. The shit wasn't easy. I mean, there was a couple of times I was on the phone emotional to a couple of my friends. And I know that a lot of that, one of the, I think so, so just to give you a bit more history on me. So where I grew up and how I grew up um, with my family, my mother and father were to death, they did part. You know, they were married, you know, 30 something years until my father, you know, passed away. And I expected that for myself, right? And I was thinking, you know, a couple of things, you know, that uh, I don't want to put my kid through the, the separate household, you know, deal, you know, going back and forth and I want to maintain and see my kid grow up. And one of the things I was talking about earlier, there's no way in the world I'm going to let these streets or another man raise my kid. I want my kid, if he's going to walk and talk like somebody to walk and talk like me. I don't, I'm not perfect. I don't want him to do everything like me. You know, I want him to be a better version of me. I, I definitely want to raise my kid. So it was tough for me. It was tough. It wasn't easy. You know, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I'll even go a step further and add into that. I've had some other issues with just, you know, being adopted and growing up in a household where family adopted me, where, you know, there might have also been some abandonment issues or stuff like that. But still, with all of that said, I'm like, yo, fuck that. I don't need to do this. I don't need to fucking be somebody that I don't want to be or not or, or I don't need to be phony in order to just be in this. So I moved around the corner. Well, yeah. And I think if any dude is honest, and, I, and, it's, and it's difficult for men to be honest about this kind of shit, 
because we're not programmed to for the most part. Even if you if you think about it, like statistically, they go, yo, what's what's the number one thing you're afraid of? Ridicule. You're afraid of being less than or being made to feel less than or, you know, and a lot of lashing out and stupid shit that men do is for the sake of ego. And I'll say like, in my situation, I absolutely had emotional moments. My mom and dad were together for 43 years when my dad passed away. And how many brothers and sisters? So I'm the third of five. So I have two older sisters, my baby sister, my baby brother. So we grew up in a household where mom and dad were ride and die for each other. And I think the main, the main difference that a lot of people don't understand, especially if you don't watch people who've been in long-term relationships, they don't always get along. Hell, they're- My mom mom and dad were arguing all the time. They always argue. Right, yo, my mom and dad didn't argue a lot, but when they did, you know, it'd be like, I'm not fucking with you right now, you know? And my dad wasn't a screamer or yeller other than at me. So he just like, man, okay, whatever. And just keep it moving. And my mom's was a yeller and she yelled and you know, she, she make her points or whatever. But I also realized at the end of the day, nobody could come to me and say, your father didn't love your mother and your mother didn't love your father. Or they weren't 110% committed to each other. Okay, that's, a, that's, a, that's another thing for me. When, when, when I look back at the neighborhood that I grew up in, yeah. we're still in a housing project in the deep in the South Bronx. And I look around at all of our neighbors and I talk about this or I say this a lot, not often enough, but there were a whole gang of families that were 25 years together, 20 years together, 30 years together, 25 years together, all growing up. That's all I saw. I didn't know about single parent households until I went to middle school. I had no idea. I didn't know what a single parent household was until I went to middle school. Yeah, it's wild because it's converse. Like I think about like my family, we are a ginormous extended family. All of my mom's siblings had gone through divorces. My grandmother and grandfather were divorced. My mom was the only one who was in a long-standing relationship at that point. But growing up, there were a lot of divorced people around me. But to your point, like it definitely has an impact on your expectation for your life when your parents have a long relationship. And I was I was alluding to as I was sh- sharing like how I got here, like I was going through a real rough patch. I got laid off in April. We separated in September. My dad called me and was like, oh yeah, my cancer is terminal in October. So my kids having to go to daycare for the first time because I found a job in January and then my dad was gone by February. So I want to give a little history here to people, right? So uh, Clark and I know each other because his sister is my BFF. We went to school together, me and his sister Mia. I hope it's okay that I say her name. We have stayed and remained friends all through college. And I remember when your dad passed and I remember it was, you know, it was a tough time. I was there um, at the funeral and there was a whole gang of people there. I remember it being a hard time. And I, but I remember going home for the first time after we separated and I'm six one right now walking around at about two fifteen. And I went home and for the first time since maybe the middle of college, I was walking around less than 180 pounds. Right. To the point where depressed and you don't even know it. Depressed and it and you right. ate, yeah. And my dad looks at me and he goes, Yo, are you sick? What's going on? Because I hadn't told him. He's like, You lost a lot of weight. What's going on? And I said, Motherfucker, you got cancer. I- I'm gonna be okay. And like I was never a crier. Like, I, like, I've just never been a dude who cried very much. Being a father to three girls and going through a divorce, I would be in my fridge, just open the fridge as I'm home by myself and just collapse down crying yeah, like a baby. Or, like, I had one instance where I went on a business trip and, and I had an allergic reaction while I was on that business trip. And, you know, people reacted quickly and, you know, got me a bunch of Benadryl and so on and so forth. And I came home and I landed in the airport. And this is while I'm going through the divorce because we're we're split and we're still sharing the house and I'm landing from the business trip. We had probably been separated about six or seven months at this point. We're still sharing the house, landed the airport. You know, one of my coworkers, her husband shows up with their youngest kid. He has flowers for her. My other boy, he lands, he's on the phone. Hey honey, I'm going to be home in a little bit. I'll see you in a little while. I love you. You know, I get in my car, I drive home, I walk through the door and my wife is sitting there on the couch with the kids and she gives me this look like, why? the fuck are you here? And as I'm walking through the door 
and I get that look and I go, oh shit. And I put my bags down. I remember walking upstairs to my bedroom. Where else was you supposed to go? I remember walking to my bedroom, closing the door and just sitting on the floor crying going, how the fuck did I get here? Huh. Where the fuck else was you supposed to go? Well, well, that's it. You know, that's it. You're just in that moment. And that's where, like, you know, reality hits you. And you're like, oh, shit. This shit is done, done. You know, th this is a complete change to my world. Uh, and you realize, like, for whatever connection you had or whatever hopes and dreams you had for that situation, the world has changed. So um, we're going to leave it there because we actually been on for a little while. And we actually have... Uh two more segments to cover before we close out. And one of the segments that we want to talk to, uh, one of the segments that we do on this uh, podcast is called Take Out the Trash. Chris, why don't you tell them what Take Out the Trash is? Wow. So Take Out the Trash is where we come together and we talk about individuals who are not living up to their parental responsibilities. It could be a mom, it could be a dad, it could be people who are parenting together, but they are doing a horrific job as parents and we're going to drag you for the shitty job you're doing. So uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to go first, right? No, please do. So there's this article that came out a couple of days ago in the Daily Mail. Yeah. And I'm not even really comfortable doing this uh, for obvious reasons and for not so obvious reasons. So I'm gonna keep it as general as I possibly can. Tennessee's deadbeat dads, the three men who have fathered 78 children with 46 different women, and they're not paying child support to any of them. That's a lot of kids. You know. So I'm mad at everybody on this one. <laughs> I'm not just I'm not I'm not I'm not just I'm not just mad at the fathers on this. Right. One. I'm mad at the mothers too. I'm mad at everybody on this because there's no way in the world that I believe that they didn't know about each other. No, let me let me just say let me just get it no. out. Let me just say it. let me just say it though. These <laughs> ain't shit. Okay. <laughs> and I hate to say I'm I'm using the N word. I can use the N-word. If I want to use the motherfucking N-word, I'm going to apologize to anybody that I have offended. You know what I'm saying? No matter what race you are, I apologize. But yeah. these motherfuckers ain't shit, right? That goes, to, that goes without saying that these motherfuckers ain't shit, right? Because like I talked about earlier, there's no way in the world I'm going to be okay with somebody out here raising my kids. I'm not even okay with just my son's mother raising my kid, having nothing to do with her having nothing to do with any problem that I may possibly have about her personality or how she moves or whatever else it is. I'm just not comfortable with anybody being the only influence on my kid without me having something to fucking say about it. But that's your lens, you know? And that's, that's the crazy shit. Not everybody moves like we move. There's, this one, there's one guy, he has 23 children with 17 different women. Yo. Now, there's no way in the world none of these women knew that this dude had a bunch of kids with a bunch of different women. Yo, and where you find the time? He ain't paying no attention to him. That's probably well. Hi. I'm not even talking about no the attention. I'm not even he talking can. about the parenting. There's no way in the world you can spend time with each one of these kids. Yo, I'm not even talking about the parenting. I'm talking about the women. Where you find time to impregnate that many women, you know, over, and, and from what I understand the articles, these dudes are young dudes. These dudes are like 20-something, 30-something. One of these dudes is 30-something. Another dude is... This goes back to another woman, thing. No, no, hold on. This one woman... Go ahead, go ahead. Desmond, this one woman, where is she at? And, and I do not want to be here bashing, you know, these women. I hope this doesn't sound like I'm bashing these women. She said... Latoya, uh, she, uh, I, I, and I don't even want to really say, give out these names, right? I, I'm going to post the article, I'm going to post the article on the yeah. website, but it says, her knees buckled when a prosecutor told her that the dude had 20 children before her. She could, but here's the thing, right? If he don't business with his kids, right? He don't hang out with his kids. He don't talk about his kids. You ain't gonna know he has kids. But like from a dude standpoint and-, and What and does women, he have? What do these guys have that these women are interested in having kids with this motherfucker? The problem is, especially in this day and age, we confuse time and attention for affection and intent. But if you are a dude who has the time to impregnate- 46 in, different women with 78 children. It's because that's your only focus. You are, you are focused about job or career you're not focused on taking care of those kids right all you're focused on is getting in somebody's pants and in doing that you put the time and attention 
into these women to make you yourself appear charming, they fall for it, and then you're on to the next one. And think about how many dudes you grew up with who that's their MO. But you ain't checking the resume on none of these motherfuckers. You ain't checking the resume on none of these motherfuckers. You ain't seeing where this motherfucker goes to work. You ain't seeing, because, because in each one of these, these instances, they going after these cats and, 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 and taking you know, money out of their checks and all that other sort of stuff. So there's got to have, there had to have been a time when y'all was supposed to go out and he ain't have it. But here's the thing. They ain't even, they're not even paying attention to it. Yo, I, I will tell you, like, ask, ask women you know. If they are in, invested in a man, they like a man, like, really like him, care for him. They may not be in love with him or they're mildly obsessed with him or infatuated with him, whatever the language is. They will come out of their pocket and they will turn a blind eye to a lot of shit. Not, and dudes, not, are the, dudes are the not, same way. That's the ones I fuck with. So you're saying that, you're saying that, it sounds to me like you're saying that they would prefer that over somebody who, you know, like maybe an entrepreneur or something like that who can't, you know, stop no. whatever it is he's doing to come see you, whatever it is. Not everybody is built to be a CEO's wife. Not everybody is built to be an entrepreneur's wife. Oh, so I'm going I'm, 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 I'm to blow these motherfuckers up. Anyway, Desmond Hatchett, 33, has 30 children by 11 different women. And he had the nerve to ask for his child support to be lowered. Richard Colbert has 25 children, 18 different women. He claims he doesn't have to pay for any of them as they are all adults. Stupid motherfucker. <laughs> Terry Turnage, also of Memphis, has 23 children by 17 women. He recently filed a petition in court to lower his child support payments, but never turned up to the hearing. The most to to your own hearing. $9 to one person. That means he ain't got no fucking, that means whatever fucking job he's got is fucking bullshit. The motherfuckers he, he, need to be dragged. So you got anybody you want to, uh... Yo, actually... Mine is also from a news article. I don't know if you, you followed the case of the uh, the Turpins out in California. No. Yeah, so this shit, this has been bothering me for a while, man. And so you had this family, this husband and wife, uh, Dan, uh, David and Louise Turpin. Married in like 1985 They in Virginia, I think initially, when he was like 23, she was like 16. Moved across the United States, living in Texas, and then moved to Cali. He was uh, an engineer working for like some of the larger engineering companies. Um, she was a stay-at-home mom. 13 kids aging from age 2 to 29. So they had adult kids. And in January of last year, one of the kids ran out of the house, ran to the police looking for help. And when the police arrived, they found the house in disarray. They found feces all over the place. You know, they found... This is kind of sounding familiar to me. This is randomly sounding familiar. Keep going. They had restraints all over the house. Three of the kids, you know, seven, I think at that time, seven of the kids were adults. So like over the age of 18. So when the cops showed up, three of the kids were tethered to beds or, or chained to beds. So these people faced over like 50 counts in court, including child abuse, neglect, torture, uh, false imprisonment, just a bunch of horrific shit they did to, to these kids over the years. And, and what was their explanation for it? Did they say something in court? This is why they did it or whatever the fuck it is? Well, at first they denied it. First they tried to say, oh, we didn't do it. Or, uh, and when the cops showed me, like, why are these kids restrained or why are these people restrained? To the point, like, to give you an example, like, outside of the, oh, the, the physical abuse and, and, the, and the beatings, the kids were only fed once a day. They were only allowed to shower once a year. Had no contact with their extended family, so their grandparents, aunts, uncles, whatever, nobody ever saw the kids. Like, they'd occasionally get a picture posted on Facebook. I'm like, damn, these kids are looking really skinny. You know, to the point where they were so malnourished that when the cops first arrived in the house, they thought everybody was un was all minors. So you have 29-year-old woman. Yeah. yeah, you can imagine. Emaciated as fuck because these people were warped as shit and, and put these kids through it. So they were sentenced in April. Each one of them got 25 to life. So basically a life sentence with a chance of possibility of, 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 a possibility of parole after 25 years. And nobody thinks they're going to get parole. Nobody thinks they, they're going to look at them just for the level of abuse and neglect that these kids had. What, and, was, their, what was their explanation? Or what was their reason for doing it? Did they say anything? They didn't give any reasoning. Religion. This was our religion. Nothing. Nope. Because nope, they, 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 they hid under the guise of being religious. But... You know, you had other people who knew them were like, you know, the wife was obsessed with the occult and, you know, they were swingers and shit like that. You know, so, I mean, I think there's a lot of background noise, 
but they have not directly, in anything that I read, have not directly come out and said, yo, we were fucking our kids up for this reason, or we thought there'd be a better... The one thing they did offer up is we kept having kids because God called us to it. So that they blame. Were any of the kids sexually abused? They didn't say. They didn't say in anything that I read. They just they just laid out abuse. Um, you got anything on the other side? You want to pass somebody on the back? Dude, you know what? Let, let, changing gears, and you know, I, I talked a little bit about this you know, during the course of our conversation. Pat on the back is a posthumous pat on the back, man. I want to pat my dad on the back. I want to pat my father on the back. And, you know, before people start up, my mom did an equal job. In some ways, she did more. You know, but just, you know, starting at, at, at one place and giving one person a shout out, I want to, I want to start with my dad. Um, you know, because I look at the way my parents raised us and the effort that went into us. So as I mentioned, I'm the middle of five kids. And we grew up in what is now an incredibly gentrified and beautiful neighborhood, but was pretty shitty when we were growing up. You know, we grew up in a, in a pretty rough part of Brooklyn. And all of us are college educated. All of us, you know, none of us have any significant interaction with law enforcement other than my sister married a cop. All of us are involved in the lives of our children and each other's children. You know, we, we treat each other like a built-in support system and that's based on the life lessons that our parents put in front of us. And when I look at the way, you know, my dad helped shape not just our lives, but the lives of a lot of kids in our neighborhood. Because, you know, while there were some people who had the longevity in relationships and, you know, moms and dads who've been together 20, 30, 40 years, there were a lot of dudes who didn't have dads in our neighborhood. And my house was a safe haven, you know, like very much like you, you, you suggested in your family. Almost all of my cousins have lived with me at some point or another, you know, even if it was for a short stay. Almost every kid in my neighborhood hung out at my house. So my pops would come home. It wasn't uncommon for there to be 15, 20 dudes sitting on his front porch or in his fridge, drinking his juice and eating his food. But he spent time with everybody and, you know, put effort into everybody. And, you know, you mentioned being at his funeral. And that's the, exa the example that I give about the kind of dude my dad was. So I showed up at his funeral as his son. And had to drive around the block three times to find parking to attend my father. Me too. I remember it. Me too. Yeah, I remember it. You know, pat on the back, shouts out to my pops, who was, you know, he was pops to a lot of people. Not biologically, but, you know, in, in spirit and in guidance, you know, so shouts to my dad. Um, and I don't want to sound cliche-ish, um, but I want to do the same thing. I want to give a shout out to my dad, Sidney Crockett. My dad grew up in a time when, you know, you absolutely would expect that there would be no reason to be a good dad, right? He grew up, you know, in the early 1900s. I think it was, uh, my mom was born in 1925 and he was 13 years younger than her. Um, he was born in 1912 or 1910, right? Um, he fought in World War II um, and he'd been called all kind of ends, um, <laughs> through, you know, depressions, whatever it is. He didn't even know his last name. He took his last name from um, his brother that he met, right? But um, he went to the service. He retired from the service. He married my mom. They had three children, and they adopted two other children, me being one of them. And it just takes a lot of love, a lot of love, Absolutely. you know, for take, to take somebody into your house who is not of your blood and treat them as if you are, they are your blood. Right. Um, and uh, as quiet as he was and um, as mild as he was, and he wasn't a big man, he was a small man. He had a strong hand um, when it came to knocking me upside my head. But he was a good man. You know, he was a good man. And I didn't realize that as much as I do now when I was there. But I get it now. And, and he set the tone for what a father should be. You know, he didn't like it. But uh, he took my sister to school every morning. He took my other sister to work every morning. He would um, pick us up and drop us off. He was the dude in the neighborhood that fixed anything. If you needed anything fixed, you came to Mr. Crockett's house and he fixed it, you know? And then, like all the other dads, you could always find him out there sitting out on the corner at the end of the block. Um, and they'd all be sitting around there drinking and chilling until one of the old school cats came down the neighborhood to tell everybody what the number was. And he set that foundation for me and I'm proud of him and I hope that he is proud of him. So 
that's all we got for this episode. Single dad, why you mad? How the fuck did I get here? Um, and really quick, we want to talk to our uh, listeners about how you can participate in the conversation. We want you to participate in the conversation. So we've got three mailbags set up, right? One is a pat on the back, um, which is uh, you recommending, you the listeners recommending somebody for a pat on the back, like we just both pat our dads in the back. Another one is take out the trash, where you the listeners uh, recommend somebody that needs to be taken out, like the trash. And then the last one is going to be, uh, this is why I'm mad. If you are a single mom or a single dad, or you're dating a single mom or a single dad, and you just want to talk to us about why you're mad for whatever reason it might be at that time, we have an email address for that also. This is why I'm mad at singledadwhyyoumad.com. And um, we're going to be doing episodes every two weeks simply because we're so busy. So our next episode, you'll see two weeks after this episode, and we expect to be releasing episodes on Sunday, bright and early for Monday. Chris, if people want to reach you directly, what's your Instagram? You can follow me at Clark, C-L-A-R-K-E, underscore Chasm, C-A-S-M, on Instagram. And uh, David, you can reach me at Insatiable Presumption on Instagram. And no, I don't know how to spell it, but I'm pretty sure you can figure it out. So uh, this will wrap up the first episode. Single dad, why you mad? Thanks for joining us. Make sure to subscribe. Make sure to tell a friend. And we definitely want to hear why you mad. Tell them niggas why you mad. Tell them why you mad. That's the shit that got me mad. That's the shit you don't say. You don't say that's the shit that fed me.